Hey, y'all, we're going to play a game, all right? Okay, trying to figure out the best, be best to do it this way. All right, you have to guess the shadow. All right, fair? Okay, see if I can do this. I practiced this, y'all. Rabbit. All right. Okay. Good job. All right. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Camel. It's camel, y'all. Come on. It's good. Kermit the Frog. All right. Okay. Let's see here. I have some more. Let's do this one first. We'll change the order up. What's that one? That's sick on bears. That took them horns. That saw them off. That's upside down. <laughs> oh, where are my Aggies? Come on. Saw them off. Turn them upside down. Horns. All right. That's fun. Fun stuff. Y'all ever done that? You ever made like hand gestures in the shadow? That was fun. I'm glad. Thank y'all for working with me on that. Y'all are sharp, better than I thought you guys would do. I knew you were sharp, but that was, that was really good. Today, the theme of the message is that very thing. It is shadows. Something true about shadows. Uh, it's actually pretty powerful when you think about it, when scriptures, we're going to open up in God's words to Colossians chapter 2 today, jumping back in, but it uses the word shadows. There's something, something powerful about the idea of shadows. Like when you think of a shadow, Sometimes we see shadows, and maybe see it on the wall, and even at, as we were, we were kids, uh, at nighttime you'll see a shadow, and it's, it can be scary, right? Sometimes you'll see a shadow, it can be, you know, your dad walking to the room, like it, it gives you comfort. The thing about a shadow is, is a shadow is, is just a, a representation of something, something more significant, right? It's just, a, it's just a, the absence of light with the light going around it, right? So you see that shadow really clearly. But, but it, it casts a, a picture of something that it points toward that's behind it. And, and, and that's, that thing that's behind it is the, is the real deal, right? And whatever's behind the shadow, like if, if I were to do me today and I'll get a, if I get, you can't see a shadow. Like if I get a certain spot, I've got a shadow right here. That shadow is just a physical representation of the real deal. I'm the real substance of it, but light goes past me and the shadow is something that looks kind of like me, but it's not the real deal. It's not the real deal. If you like me, this is good. If you don't like me, maybe the shadow's better. I don't know how that works. But you'll see it in Colossians chapter 2. Last week we unpacked uh, the, the verses before, verses 16 to 23, which is where we're going to be today. And to summarize it, it is this. Jesus said, walk. Paul says to church Colossians, as you have received Jesus, walk in him. Be active in, in your faith. Walk in him. Put, put feet to your faith, so to speak. And then he fleshed out how to do that. And then he gave, that was the first command. The second command he gave was, do you remember what it was? Beware. Beware. Beware of what? Beware of the false teaching. Beware of what's going on inside the church and outside the church. Make sure that you understand 
all of who Jesus is, nothing more and nothing less. The, the theme of Colossians is Jesus is supreme. So let's jump in. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Some, following some incredible verses about what Christ has done for us. He has taken away our sin debt. He has canceled our debt, nailing it to the cross, putting all the other authorities that are warring against him, triumphing over them, putting them to open shame. Verse 16, therefore, that being said, walk in Christ, beware, all that we need is in Christ. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are somewhat foreign to us, but to them, these are all things that they were hearing on, on the daily in, in, in Colossians to, to do these things. So for the people with the Jewish background, to make sure to honor the Sabbath. For people with a pagan background, to make sure to, to honor these gods on these certain days. And, and so he's saying, uh, in questions of all of these things, of food and drink, these things, that what to eat, what not to eat, what to drink, what not to drink, and what days to rest, and what days to, to work, and, and what, what, what holidays to celebrate, and what holidays are not, and worship which gods. So it's, it's these, all of these things, the, these are a shadow. There's the word, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, I just want to rest in that for a moment. These things, lots of things that are out there, a lot of these things are good things, but, but they are, are things that were always pointing towards something that was coming. That's the phrasing. The things that are to come, the shadow of things to come. There, there are things that, that, that the Jewish people specifically were, were tasked to do and not do, but those things were a, a shadow of things to come. What are those things? Well, well the, the Sabbath days, one, like honor the Sabbath. You're to do that. The, the sacrifices, make sure you do these sacrifices at certain times. Make sure to honor these festivals at certain times. All of these things pointed toward, they were shadow of that thing, which is the substance behind it. And it says the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, my version says a capital H, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints or ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God, who is the head, capital H, that is Jesus. And so we've already covered this. I won't restate it in, in length, but the idea is that God wants us to grow. God wants us to experience his fullness, and that fullness is in the word, made flesh, Jesus Christ, and it is in the word. It's both. It is in the word. We find fullness in Christ in, in what we're doing right now. We are opening up the word, and we're opening up our ears and our minds to grow. God wants us to grow. Even right now, he wants us to grow in Christ through the word. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, we talked about this last week. What is that? That's that the elemental spirits of the world are all of the things that this world devises to that promises to keep to get us where we might want to go, but they always fall short. Sometimes the phrasing is worldview. There's worldly philosophies, and, and that is uh, 
honestly a plethora of things that we could talk about for hours of the world has said, hey, these things will, will get you where you want to go. These things will fill you, and all of them have fallen short. And so if, if with Christ you died, you put those things behind you to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why do you go back to that that you were released from, that you were given freedom from? According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so here's how I want to unpack today. What, what Paul is, is giving us, last week we talked about beware. This week he's saying specifically what to beware of. What are these things that, that even still, 2,000 years ago, but even still today, that the enemy puts out there that can trip us up and, and lead us to bondage instead of freedom, that promise freedom, but lead us to the opposite. These false teachers, to use that term, were saying, in short, that a heightened form of, of doing things, religion and spirituality, outside of what we already have in Christ can make us more full and give us more favor with God and neglected to honor the truth that all things can only be satisfied in Christ. And last week and this week and in the coming weeks, what, what I see is I see this picture of Paul, the Apostle Paul, grabbing us. You ever grab someone by the shoulders, like really trying to get their attention? And like, wake up, wake up, wake up. When my wife is sleeping, like my wife went to youth camp, on, on, and on Friday they got back, and when, when she got home on Friday, she went to bed and crashed. And she said, wake me up in an hour and a half. I went into the room in an hour and a half, and she was dead asleep. And so what did I do? I grabbed her by the shoulders, and I said, not really violently, but I'm, hey, wake up, wake up. I feel like what Paul is doing is a little bit more aggressively to the church. It's like, wake up, wake up. Don't you get it? Don't you remember how good Jesus is? Don't you remember how sufficient Jesus is? Don't you remember how supreme Jesus is? You need no one else. You need nothing else. I uh, had the privilege, I shared a few weeks ago, I got back from a trip to, to Poland, a mission trip, and I got to spend time with some incredible um, heroes, my heroes, who are serving on the front lines of gospel work in the countries of Ukraine and all around there. One of the guys that I got to spend time with, his name was Tomas or Thomas. He was from Latvia. He was a very well-spoken. Some of the people there didn't speak English. This particular gentleman, he spoke really good English, probably better than me, actually. And uh, we began to have a conversation after lunch one day. And it was just, he was across the table. There's a lot of other people in the room, but I, I was intentionally trying to connect to him because he had told me he had an interest in church planting. You guys know that's my heart. I love church planting. I believe church planting is the front lines of gospel work all around the world. And so I'm leaning in this guy, Tomas, and, and uh, we began to share our hearts. I was so impressed with this guy. 
he, he's, he had been housing thousands, people coming through thousands of refugees from Ukraine and loving on them and sharing the truth of Jesus with them and sharing meals with them. And, and uh, he was telling me about all this work that he was doing. And he was asking me about my family. And I, I, I had pre-prepared on my phone because I, I don't keep a wallet with me. Like used to, I used to have a wallet with a little insert with the clear things that had pictures. Remember those days when we had those? Does anybody have that anymore? Does, does any man have a wallet with pictures of your family anymore? I used to have that. I don't have it anymore. So, so what I have is my phone, right? And, and I, I pre-prepared a folder of my family. So he's sharing pictures of his family and I'm sharing pictures of my family. And I love my family. I love my wife, Jennifer. I'm showing him pictures. She's so amazing. She's so beautiful. And then my kids, my three kids, Josiah, Paul, and Leah, and they are, I'm so proud of them and the, the, the young men and women that God is, is building them up to be. And then I got a picture of my, my dog, my, my, I have a picture of the dog, right? My, my, uh, my pet, uh, Schnoodle Teddy. And so, oh, he's so cute. Oh, they're so amazing. I shared these pictures with him and then I shared it with other people. And can you imagine the picture if I came home, if I came home and the moment I walked in the door after being gone for, after being gone from my family for two weeks, I was gone for two weeks. If I'd have walked in the door of my house and my family was there and I grabbed, hold on, I grabbed my phone and I was like, mm, I love y'all so much. And I went on to the wall where there's pictures of my family on the wall and I just touched them I'm like, man, y'all are so amazing. And I sat down with my phone, and I started looking through the pictures, and then I started talking to my pictures. You would think I lost it. You would think I was crazy. You see, this is what Paul is actually trying to say to the church in Colossae. Like you have shadows, and some of those shadows are actually really good things that God gave us. But those shadows are a representation. They're a sign of something or someone that is to come. And that someone that you've been waiting for has already come. And he's saying about these, these shadows, he's saying, stop chasing the shadows. Stop, stop hugging the shadows, those things that might be good, that, that promise to, to, to one day that there will be something better to come. That better one has come. That better thing has come. So stop chasing the shadow and cling to the substance of the shadow that they were always pointing to. And what is that? Or in better terms, we would ask, who is that? It's Jesus Christ. It would be like me coming home and hugging my wife. It would be like coming home and me hugging my kids, sitting down and talking to them, and, and, and listening to the stories of what happened when they went to Florida. They went to the beach with my in-laws and listening to stories. And that was an enriching time for me to hear their stories. But if I didn't, if I did the opposite, if I just hugged my phone and look at the pictures on the wall, what would that have done? It would have hurt my relationship with them. It, it actually would have been counterproductive to me, un, me growing in my relationship with them. It would, in many ways, it would, it would have destroyed my connection to them even further after being gone for them two weeks when I neglected them. So Paul is saying, hey, wake up, stop chasing the shadows. So three things there in your notes <clears throat> really quickly today. Three things in your notes that, 
that are these, these three specific shadows that, that he addresses. The first is legalism. And so the legalism, what was that saying? The, the, the legalists were saying, I need to do more. That, that, that you need to do more things to, to be more holy and more righteous, to be right with God. And so legalism is relying on religious rules rooted deeply here in this context in the Jewish tradition of making sure that you do all of the right things, making sure that you honor all of the right feasts, making sure you eat all of the right things, and following all of those rules. I want to read some scriptures to you because Jesus has some things to say about those rules. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read these because uh, just for brevity's sake, uh, I want to just read these for you. Scripture says a lot about these, these legal things and these rules, religious rules. It says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. That's all of the guidelines of the rules in the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish them in Matthew 5, 17 to 20. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, so you can't take, I came to fulfill, not to do away. I came to fulfill with the law. Those things are a shadow, and I have arrived. I'm the substance of those things. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments, he goes on, and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, unless you're better than the best, unless you're more righteous than the righteous, the most righteous that you know, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is teaching something really profound there. It's like you can't work enough to be right. You can't work enough to be right. Romans chapter 8, Paul says to the church in Rome, verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it is, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. We talked about this last week. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so, so what we could not do on our own, Christ has done. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Therefore, the law, is that word again, rules law, has become our guardian. This is an interesting picture. Galatians chapter 3 gives us. Paul writes to the church of, uh, of there, and he says, therefore, the law has become our guardian. Some of the translations use a different word. It's the word tutor. Here's the idea. A guardian or tutor was someone who was over some kids, kind of in a school-like setting, and they were helping them ask questions and things, but, but their job was to make sure when they were going throughout the day that to walk with them as a guardian to get to where they were supposed to go in the learning environment. So they're walking from place to place, learning and learning and learning. So it uses this term tutor. Therefore, the law has become our guardian slash tutor to do what? To lead us to Christ. I love that. Love that. To lead us to Christ. Why? So that we may be justified. We may be made right. The idea of justification is we were wrong in God's eyes. And then we are made right in God's eyes. All of this goes back to what we're talking about in Colossians. So that we may be justified by, how are we justified? By faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But the picture of that verse is not that Christ did away with the law. 
He was the final chapter in the book of the law. Are you with me? So he came to complete all that God had been doing from the beginning of the book of Genesis in the fall. He came to right everything that was wrong in the world. So here's the truth that that Paul is teaching us, is don't let the world say that you are disqualified because you are only and fully qualified in Christ. Don't don't let anyone say that that you are not qualified because we are fully and only qualified in Christ. So that's the legalism, that I need to do more. I need to work more. Man, that shows up in so many ways in these days. The second is this. It's mysticism. Mysticism. Mysticism says I need something more. As you look at verse 18, it says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and specifically the worship of angels. And so there's these, these, you need to go pray to these angels or worship these angels. These are things that have been teaching in the, this area of Colossae. It says, you don't, need, you don't need to look for something more. The worship of angels going on in details about visions, pursuing like higher, like I have these visions and dreams puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And so mysticism says, I need something more. It's relying on something that we don't already have. It's relying on experiences and and even religious experience, which is not necessarily bad, but seeking more angels, knowledge, a plethora of other things. Even modern day, we, we talk about the the New Age movement, and that has led to looking. The idea is you have to look within yourself. You already have everything that you need within yourself. And so we find all these self-help books, and if you do this and do this, you can, get, you can take yourself where you need to go. Well, this is the opposite of what Paul is saying. It's like you don't, you don't need something more. You won't find what you need in yourself because holiness isn't within us until we realize that holiness comes from a place outside of us, and holiness is in Christ alone. Paul is saying, hey, why look for a new revelation we hear that word these days. Why look for a prophetic word that's in addition to the prophetic word that we hold in our hand? Why look for more when we already have more than what we need within our hands? It is sufficient. And Christ is supreme. Why look for more signs? Why look for more miracles? Why look for that when we already have all we need? And so mysticism says, I need something more And then the last, it uses the phrase in verse 18 and then unpacks it in verses 20 and 22. It's the word asceticism, and that is really hard for me to say. Asceticism, and and that means I need to do less. And so it's the opposite of legalism. I need to do more. I need to do these things so I can be right. Asceticism says, hey, I need to stop doing these things and take these things out. I must abstain from certain food and drink in, in order to be, to be healthy. Over the years, this has been practiced in so many ways. I, I don't partake of these things. Or, or many people have gone away and even been uh, monks and nuns and gone away. And if I don't do these things, and I'm not in this culture, then, man, I'm going to be in a better place. I'm going to be in a holier place. And Paul says, hey, you can work, and discipline is good. Don't hear what I'm not saying. And doing without abstaining from some things is a healthy thing. I go to the gym. 
I, 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 uh, I, I see guys, I'm not this way, but I see some guys and some ladies that, man, when they, when they work out, you can tell that they don't eat cinnamon rolls. <laughs> Seriously. Like, they, they don't do it. Uh, you look at them, and, and they're the ones, like, I, I have in, never in my life taken a picture of myself in the mirror at the gym. Ever have I done that. But you see some people, and I'm not saying anybody in here, but not that you would do this, but you might have. I don't know. Uh, but they're like, they have, they, have, they have had so much discipline of doing without all the unhealthy things, and they have put so many healthy things, and they have practiced all the good things to build their body up, which, by the way, we should do. Like, these bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We should take care of ourselves. It's a biblical thing. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But, but that taking to the extreme, I see these people who are like flexing in the mirror. You know, you know you've, you've seen those people, right? They're like, mm. <laughs> I, I recently talked to a guy who had for six months only eaten boiled chicken and rice for six months. Listen, this guy was lean. I don't know what his body fat was, but it's like one or two percent. I, I have never in my life even imagined I could ever become that. Here, here's, what, here's what Paul is saying. Does that, does that take you where you need to go in life? Hmm. I mean, eating, cinnamon, eating less cinnamon rolls will probably make me healthier. But eating less cinnamon rolls is not going to make me holier. It's not not going to do it. And that's what asceticism says. Hey, if you don't do these things, you'll be, you'll be closer to God. You can talk about fasting. That's a, biblical, that's a biblical discipline that we should practice from time to time as led by the Holy Spirit. Fasting is, is, is getting away and not doing for a season without something for the purpose of growing in our walk with Christ. He's got, got a specific purpose. Growing in our walk with Christ or hearing from God in a fresh way. But the motive matters because fasting doesn't make us holier. Fasting, what it does is takes away some distractions so we can hear from the one who can. Are you with me? So we can hear from the one who can. Who is that? Y'all help me out. It's Jesus, you see. You see the lies. There's some good things that God has given us. And the enemy comes in and he perverts that and says, these things are going to take you where you need to go, but they won't. They're only steps. They're only shadows of the real deal. These things, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism, there's more that we could go through. But these are the three that Paul gives to this church in Colossae. These, by nature, are at war with the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. What do you mean by that, Justin? I mean that these things will never make us more right with God. Only faith in Jesus Christ can do that. If you look just back, rewind back in your, our passage. Rewind to last week's passage. Look at what it says in verse 13. Again, just to remind you the context of what Paul is speaking toward. It says, In you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him. In Christ, you are made alive, having forgiven us, what's the word? All our trespasses, all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Turn with me back to John. In, your, in God's word, turn with me to John chapter 19. All of this goes back as I thought about how I would lead into the next portion of worship today. I was brought back to one word, one word. I believe that could sum up this whole message. John chapter 19. John chapter 19 and verse 28, 29, and 30. Can you just put yourself there that day? Jesus had been tortured. He had been spat on. He had gone through things that we can't even imagine. He got hung on the cross. And verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it out to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. In the Greek word, you, the Greek, it's one word. And this is the word I want us to ponder. I want us to chew on. I really do. I want us to chew on right now in this moment. I want to chew on this word. The Greek word is to telestai. And it, it can be rendered, it is finished, like it is here in the ESV. And some of your versions uh, might say, uh, it uh, paid in full. That's the idea. Like this, this debt was paid in full. It's a monetary, a banking term. It is finished to telestai. It is paid in full. The Latin renders it, it is consummated. It is done. Many people have spoken toward this one word, to telestai. Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon says, to telestai conveys, listen to these people who have spoken toward this one word. He says it conveys an ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop. It would need all of the words that ever were spoken or even can be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished as the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the Lamb. He has borne the whole of the wrath that was due to his people. This is the royal dish of the feast of love. J.C. Ryle says, It is surely not too much to say that of all the seven famous sayings of Christ on the cross, none is more remarkable than to Telestai. A.C. Gabeline adds, Never before and never after was ever spoken one word which contains and means so much. It is a shout of the mighty victor. And who can measure the depth of this one word? A.W. Pink writes, eternity, eternity will be needed to make manifest all that Tetelestai contains. Charles Simeon says, Since the foundation of the world, there never was a single word uttered in which such diversified and important matter was contained. Every word indeed that proceeded from our Savior's lips deserves the most attentive consideration, but to Telestai eclipses all. To do justice to it, it is beyond the ability of men or angels. Its height and depth and length and breadth are absolutely unsearchable. Spurgeon adds to his previous quote, what a grand utterance is to Telestai. 
Now are we safe, for salvation is complete. The sin debt was now to the last farthing all discharged. The atonement and propitiation were made once and for all and forever by one offering made in Jesus' body on the tree. There was the cup. Hell was in it. The Savior drank it. Not a sip and then a pause. Not a draught, a single act of drinking and then a seizing. He drained it till there is not a drag left for any of his people. Man, y'all. Paid in full. The band's going to come up. They're going to begin to play and we're going to begin to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, sometimes called communion. A time to remember all of this that we've been talking about today. That we can't do anything more or less. And there is nothing that can be added because Christ is supreme. He has done everything we need. He is all that we need. Jesus is supreme. His work on the cross is final. And here's what I love about shadows. Shadows tell us something significant about something that happened that's behind. So the thing I thought about today, I thought about this idea of shadows. As much as we, these things are shadows and point to Jesus, I thought about today, through faith in Christ, we are underneath a shadow. And that shadow is the shadow of the cross. I can just imagine, there's a reason why we have that cross back there. That was passed down to us from the church that gifted us this, this property and many of in the room were a part of that church, Honey Baptist Church. So we, we honor them, but more so we honor Christ. But here's the idea. Let's see if I can make this work. Oh, y'all. If y'all just look up. Hmm. Listen. What Paul is saying is we are under the shadow of the cross. What does that mean for us? We are under his love. We are under his mercy. We are under his sovereignty. We are under his grace. We are under his forgiveness. And we are under freedom that is in Christ. So I would ask you right now to look in front of you, and there should be in front of you, a package of the elements, a little cracker on top and juice on the bottom. I, I know many of us don't love these things. I, I don't either. But I want you just to hold it. Because I, I thought about today, I, I want us to think about what we hold and what it symbolizes. This symbolizes all that Paul was talking about and more. This symbolizes, this that we hold in our hand, this symbolizes that Christ is supreme. The Lord's Supper is open to anyone who has ever put their faith in Christ. And it's just a symbol of what Christ has already done in your life. And it points back, it's a shadow, it's a sign. 
but it's a sign that Christ is supreme over us. But when we put our faith in Christ, it also is a sign for, for me as I take this. It is a sign that Christ is supreme in me. Christ is over us, but through faith, he is in us. So I ask you right now, just there's a little clear film. Just go ahead and pull that back and grab that little wafer you are in Christ today. Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room just before he went to that cruel cross. And during that meal, he grabbed that bread and he broke it. He prayed a prayer of blessing over it. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, as we hold this wafer in our hand, we acknowledge And we bear witness with our spirit, with our minds, that you are the Holy One. You are our Savior. And you chose to pay in full my sin, our sin, through your body that was broken for me. So God, as we hold this in our hands, we say thank you. We say in the same breath that you are sufficient. You are all that we need. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As he took that, he took that bread after he prayed for it. And he said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. very carefully. This is so hard for me to do without spilling it, so I'm working. Grab that piece of foil and just go ahead and begin to pull it back. During that same meal, Jesus took a cup and he raised it up and he prayed a prayer of blessing. Would you join me? Jesus, this cup is a sign, it's a symbol, it's a shadow of your incredible love that was revealed and shown most poignantly when your blood was poured out for my sin. God, when I put my faith in you, that blood washed me completely, completely. And I went in that moment from death to life. We went in that moment of faith from death to life only because of you, only because of your blood that was paid for our sins. And so, Jesus, we say thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus took that cup and he said, this is the new covenant of my blood, which is for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of worship our sufficient and supreme Savior Jesus Christ.